My name is Eric Alvarez, and I would love to introduce you to my friend Virginia Castleman. Virginia is an author who wrote one of my favorite books, Sarah Lost and Found. She's written numerous books and numerous articles that have appeared in Highlights for Children, the Children's Writer's Guide, and other publications. And she really wrote this story to draw attention to the foster care system and to give a voice to foster and adopted kids. Her book tugs at your heartstrings and in this interview, we dive deep into her story, her life story, her thoughts, and reflects on the experiences that she had as a child in the foster care system who was eventually adopted into a family. Do you mind sharing your story and then also just like a synopsis of the book? I'll do it in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Is that, you know, here you have four kids that were five, four, three and one and a half, right? The parents got into an argument. One parent left and the other parent left and both parents expected the other one to come back and neither one of them came back. And so we were left for that that week or two with uh, just us, just the kids there. And um, so I think that was as far as uh, the beginning, that would have been the beginning of this journey because when it was discovered, and we still don't really know who discovered we were by ourselves there, that somebody discovered it, I think it was the neighbor, and turned us into social services. And then it was extremely difficult because uh, our father tried to get us back on numerous occasions, but he had his own issues, and therefore, um, you know, the court would not give us back. So I just have specific memories. The ones that really hurt the most are, I do remember as a, as a, a four-year-old, even though that's so young, going into the court and recognizing that we weren't going to be taken home. You know, and that started that whole process. And then the bouncing from foster care to foster care. And we ended up in an orphanage. And I do kind of bring that up in Sarah Lost and Found because uh, it was such an archaic system back then. You know, and the way that we were chosen, you know, it, it, you know, I tried to explain that in the book where you just tapped on the head and you step out of the line and seeing that your sister hasn't been tapped, you know, and that kind of a thing. So it's those kind of stories there. But I was one of the fortunate in uh, my family because I was adopted again by a family who valued education and, and uh, who gave me a very good life. Um, and my siblings had... Um, certainly different experiences. One, my oldest sister, who I patterned this book after, the two sisters, the younger sister and the oldest sister, um, was never adopted. And she went through some really tough times that I did not cover in the book because out of privacy for her. It's her story, not mine. Um, but And then my younger siblings got adopted together. But they had their challenges, you know. Uh, so you never know, you know, and it's you want to make sure when you're writing about this that you don't... Um, you want to be real, right. you know, but you also don't want to scare kids that right. are, are kind of seeing that maybe they're going to end up in that situation, that they're going to end up with, you know, traumatic, horrible situations. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a balancing act there. Yeah, no, and I, I, I think one of the main things about your book was that there's this internal conflict of, well, I want to be with my dad, yes. and I want to see my mom, but this family also loves me, and they're like... Well, we're not saying you won't be your parents. We just want you to have a family that loves yes. you and cares for you. And just the majority of the population doesn't face that dilemma of, well, I know this family loves me, but I also want to see my dad. Exactly. You know? But I think, you know, the book clearly 
depicts. You know, she goes to court, she sees her dad. It's not even her decision, the judge decides it. Exactly. Right? And it's she's out like, of her hands. Yeah, it's out of her hand. And I think that's one of the conflicts that many parents who want to adopt or foster have, or that fear of, well, what if they think of taking them away from their parents, or what if they, you know, feel like, you know, they want to go back and see their parent, whatever it is. The book demonstrates how that's a fair, you know, question, but at the same time, it's not, you don't have to have, like, a specific answer for it, like, a very direct answer. You just demonstrate it through the actions and through the love. You know, is that kind of how you It's just, definitely, it's definitely, and that's very hard to do because parents are human. Right, people are human. You know, we yeah. all are human, you know, and so I know with my particular adoptive family, they did not want me to find out or to know and because uh, Michigan laws because I was adopted out of Michigan the Michigan laws are closed and so you as a child don't even have the right and oh if you saw the things that I did as a young adult trying to find I would address my letters to dad on the envelope and so they opened it you know and then they would write me back these letters and because I would say you know I'm not your daughter but I don't know that you're not my dad you know and so they'd say yes that's too bad but our laws are closed and we do this to protect you and your parent and that kind of a thing so as a kid that was really hard to understand but from my parents side for them I think that was one of the biggest challenges and struggles that they had because I would still refer back to my biological parents and say well they did it this way and it would hurt them so deeply but I didn't I didn't know how to say it any other way because that's what I was feeling and I think at that point if they had had more maybe training or understanding in the in this kind of process that they would not have taken it quite so personally but how do we not take things like that personally because they want you to be theirs and they don't want to have this interference over here and that's only fair but at the same time there is that divide you know and so it's very hard to be the person who takes the high road uh, who is able to not take it personally and to say oh well let's just help her work through this but I know I, I can even remember I can I can see us sitting there and I can see mom's pain when she had spent all those hours making this elaborate birthday cake that looked like a dog or something like that and all I could talk about was this mashed potato birthday cake that you know somebody else had made for me and that was the best cake in the world so of course it would hurt you to the core so it's it's not an easy fix but it's something that we truly, truly need to start paying attention to. And I think it's one of the hardest jobs. Parenting in itself is hard. You know, and having been a parent now, uh, I, I can see how hard parenting is and I understand what some of the things that my parents went through raising kids. But raising kids that initially were somebody else's kids is a whole new ball game. And I just admire so much that they they hung in there and they just, you know, they tried to work through it with me and let, you know, me try and work through it myself. Right. But I could see, I can see now the times that they really hurt them. I agree. And I, I'm always in awe of people who have that sort of heart because it does take a particular heart to adopt or foster or even just care. Oh, and, and I tell you, even the parents that came through here, um, it's it was automatic to come and give them a hug to say oh my god thank Thank you so much thank you i mean just to show that gratitude and and some of them were kind of surprised like oh you know uh, 
you know, why would you be so grateful, but they don't understand yeah. just what a gift, what a gift they are. You're what would be considered, you know, under the term like success story, because right? yes. you overcame the circumstances, the odds, and statistics. So what are the resources uh, and determining factors needed to become a healthy family builder? I sincerely think that there is one major thing that we need for all children, uh, and that is they need free counseling. Free counseling. Because parents can't always afford the, the if you go to counseling now, right. it's so expensive. I was lucky my parents could afford it. So I think that one of the things that saved me is the fact that I could go and have good counseling, especially through the teenage years, because that's when you start to really think about where did I come from, and you have all those questions, you know, and who are they, and you start fantasizing who your parents might have been. And of course, you're painting a picture that's much grander than it probably is going to be. But if I had not had the intensive counseling, I don't think I would have made it here. I honestly don't. And I think that I, I'm not a judge on how we do uh, things in our communities and, and in our government and so forth. But I think we have to recognize this as an epidemic. I, I, I keep going back to that, that we have an, ap- an epidemic in our country. You know, they're talking about the opiates and everything. Hello, we have an epidemic with our foster care system. Right. And we need to pay attention to that, and we need to pour money into getting more mental health for our families, not just the kids, right. but for the adults. Exactly. We need to have more mental facilities for our kids, and we need to make it affordable. Yeah. And that's how we get through these things, and that's how we support, you know, kids that are going through this. We give them the resources. But you can't, you can't put these families together and expect that they're going to know how to handle all of this. They're not. And if they don't have the resources, they can only do the best that they can. And that's not to criticize the people who are trying their darndest, you know. But I'm saying, let's help them. Let's get the services out there that can help them, and it's going to help our opiate problem in the long run because we're not putting a band-aid on something we're getting to the root of the problem and to get to the root of the problem sometimes you have to go to the people who have been there and they have done that and I'm the lucky one my siblings did not have counseling and I admire them so much that they have been able to do what they've been able to do and to raise their families that they've been able to do without all of those resources so you can't help but kind of feel guilty about that but at the same time I know that's the answer I know in my heart of hearts that's the answer right what what are the things do you think you wish you would have had or things that you wish you would have known younger that would have shaped who you are today as a kid growing up I needed more stories about positive things for uh, adoptive and foster kids because so much of the news was filled with this was an orphan or this was a foster kid and they did these horrific things and they robbed and they did all that. And and so I started as a kid to have kind of a complex that maybe I was going to grow up and become some criminal because of that, you know. So it's kind of a perception that society puts on us. And as a kid, you don't know. You have no idea whether or not that's what's in your future. And um, I don't think for me, I wish it so much for myself, but I wish it a lot for the kids that are out there. When I see kids that are struggling, when I, uh, I suspected that some of the kids even that came in uh, to Barnes & Noble for this event here right. were homeless, right. you know, and, and they're trying to cover up uh, some of the, you know, middle, middle grade to high school students. Uh, 
And 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 I wanted to just say, talk, talk. tell people, get help, ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And then, but I think that when we, if we do not develop a trusting environment where kids can feel like they can ask for help and that they're going to get something, that it's, again, it's a broken system, you know, so we need to fix it. We need to fix it. So I would say that for me, if I still had, you know, like a hot, you know, pain, Overlooking at this situation, it's that we're not doing enough, and we're not doing it fast enough. One thing that has come out of this is that we are redefining family, right. and that does—that means it doesn't—it's across the board. Whether it's some kids will have gay parents, you know, and some kids will have you know single parents, yeah. and some kids will have adoptive parents, and yeah. some kids will have foster. All of a sudden, now we're having to redefine family. Right. And I think that, again, has to be brought up through our education system where kids are not being uh, taught tolerance. Right. You know, I hate that word tolerance, you right. know. It's like, no, we, we accept that we have differences and let's look at these differences and how do they work, you know, and how can we make these systems better for all of these different groups. And we're all part of one human race, you know. So I know I... The music should be coming on yeah. behind me and all this stuff. No, Sometimes I get amazing. on these things, but I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah. yeah. So for that, those kind of things, it just feels so obvious yeah. to me, you know, in looking at it to say, come on, people, wake up. Yeah. But parents are exhausted, and that's part of the problem, too. They are doing the best they can, but they are exhausted. Most parents are both working, and single parents, you know that parent is working, they are exhausted. So we have to get resources to ease up on that exhaustion so that they can have a little help there. We should all be helping our parents. You're right. Wow. Oh my, wow. Wow. That's your next we book. Should. Redefining yeah. families, creating a trusting there you environment. Go. There I love you that. Go. Speaking out, having the voice. It's funny because I wrote the sequel to um, Sarah Leslie Family. And it's yeah. a sister's story, which was a little harder for me to tell because it's based in part on my sister's experience. So I have to change a lot of things so it's not, you know, her. Um, but it's the 40 days that she's in the treatment center. And, and you know, it's a whole different experience because that family then becomes a redefined family because it's more like a group home kind of a thing there that she has to do. So it, the reason I think I love writing so much is it allows me to go and explore all these different things. And some of them tap or at least, you know, poke at some of your, of your own experiences or my own experiences. But some of it, you you just learn something completely new because, you know, you're, you're opening your eyes to somebody else's different experience. So through interviews and everything like that, I learned, <laughs> I learned a lot more than I probably want to learn, but I was like, oh my goodness, okay. And then trying to ease that and mold that, you know, like you would with clay there, but you have to mold it into the story. So on the, like on the back of the book, you have your author's notes and I noticed one of the, you know, you said thank you to God and your, was it guiding guardian, angel, guardian, guardian angel. angels? Just explain, what did God and faith, you know, how did that shape who you are today? Well, first I want to say that everybody has, of course, different religious right. uh, backgrounds and different religious views on that. And when I came into my family, I didn't have a faith, I didn't have a religion, I didn't even know what religion was, yeah. you know. 
And in my particular case, my parents um, explored different religions and they uh, opted to uh, try Unitarian. And one of the things that happened in being com becoming part of the Unitarian uh, Fellowship for me as a kid was that I did see they are very much a, a religion of learning about other religions. And so one of the things that they were very much about were teaching values. So my parents had the support from the fellowship because they were teaching me values. And then it was reflected in what I was learning when we went to the Unitarian Fellowship. And so I thought, well, if everybody's talking about this, you know, I need to kind of pay attention to it. As a kid, I had a problem with stealing just because I would see something and since I didn't have it as a, as a foster kid or as a kid that was abandoned, therefore I wanted it so bad that I would steal it, you know? And so part of my adoptive parents' um, process was to teach me these values and to this day, I mean, I don't think it ever leaves you that, that feeling of, oh, I want, you know? But boy, I tell you, because of their value system and what they taught me, there's no way I could steal. There is no way I could steal as an adult. But it took them really working with me to, and they had very tough ways of teaching you about stealing, because if you stole, they would take you right back to wherever it was, and you had to go and say, hey, I took this, you know? And so it was really that kind of a lesson that they taught that was so difficult for me. And I, I haven't talked about that with anybody else before because you usually don't share something that you did as a kid. But that was one of the things that I realized that in having parents who valued education and who valued values, you know, that they really got it through to me that you just can't do it still something, you know. And so I think that that did a lot for me. And they have always taught me to not answer the questions, but to question the answers. So then I became one of these people who wanted to probe a little deeper and to find out, you know, how, probably how to solve problems, you know. And so that's when I became more of a problem solver and an inventor, you know, that kind of a thing there, where it became important for me to see beyond just what people were showing me. Right. And so I think that that, and the guardian angels, I don't think, um, Speaking for myself, I do not think I could have gone through all the experiences I went through, especially prior to adoption, right. without having some some guardian <laughs> angels watching over. Yeah. You know, seriously. And so. I love it. I love, okay, first of all, I love what you said, not to answer the questions, but to question, question the answers, answers, right? And I also think that the principles, the ethics, the morals, the values that are taught in a faith system. I mean, that goes and reinforces whatever the parent says, or whatever the conscious mind says. But then if you have those values backing it up, That's then right. you, you have something to say, you know what, I have a different option. What are the things that you still have to overcome? What are those things that you still struggle with? If you don't mind asking Yeah, and that's a really, really good question yeah. because I think that, you know, sometimes... Uh, and I'll be brutally honest here, sometimes I find myself apologizing to my kids mm -hmm. because I think that, again, it goes back to that we're all human, but we carry with us what has come before. And we do a lot of work trying to overcome those things. But I think that there are still some things that are attached to us when we become parents that maybe we're aware of and maybe we're not so aware of. 
So sometimes, you know, I think that I apologize to them if I see them struggling with something where I feel like, oh, if I had explained this or done this differently, they wouldn't be going through this struggle. And then I think the other half of that is learning that they have to go through their own struggle because when you come through the system and you see somebody struggling, you want to fix it for them. Yeah. And I've been a little bit too much of a fixer. Yeah. And so I try to fix things for them instead of letting them learn how to fix them for themselves and recognizing that life as everything is a process and they have to go through that process too. And to this day, I have to tell you, they're grown adults, they're doing amazing things out there in the world for themselves and for the world. And I still have a need to try, if they come with a challenge, I have a need to try and fix it for them. So I think that's probably the thing that followed me through, you know, is that I have to recognize as an adult that they have a right to go through their process and make their mistakes and understand that failing is not a bad thing. It just gives you another chance to, you know, learn. And I think that's probably where I feel like my, if it's a shortcoming, that's what I would call my shortcoming. I always think too, like you said, there's the part of facing the challenges and, and you want to apologize to the kids, but there's also the learning part. Yeah. I feel so tired back for my kids because I know they're not going to learn, not going to spoil them, and they're going to have exactly. so many lessons See. that they don't know See. about. But at the same time, I think that's the beauty of, of, of our experiences. Are, yeah. um, what are some final words of wisdom that you would want either I don't know words of wisdom, but I do know that it all comes back to gratitude for the kids that are coming uh, through this system, that maybe they don't show it because they don't know how to show it, but deep down there is such a depth of gratitude that even if it's not coming out that they're showing how thankful they are, that those kids, when at the very, very basic core, are so grateful that you took them in and that you are calling them part of your family and that you are doing as best you can to make them uh, feel wanted and loved and needed. I know for the workers, and, and, and we saw it here today because um, we had people coming through who wanted to sign up for CASA, but they're scared because they think, well, I don't have psychological training, and I don't have this, and, and what if I say or do something wrong? And of course, they have 40 hours of training, and they work with their CASA volunteers and everything like that. And it's that we're so afraid of doing the wrong thing, when in fact, the very fact that we are doing anything is something that, you know, you just want to go, thank, yes, you. Yeah. thank you so much, wow. you know. And so, yeah, so I think that they need to, they need to be less afraid of helping because any amount of help, the kids are going to be so grateful. But I think the other half of that is that, you know, we as adults kind of think that kids will automatically trust us because we're in CASA and we're going to help you here. But, I mean, kids who have been through the system have learned automatically to judge and not trust pretty much anybody. And they don't even know if they can trust themselves. Yeah. It's, an, it's almost innate because innate. they are so perceptive. Kids right. who have come through this system, they learn to read people. Right. And it's very, very hard to try and trick them if you're saying, oh, you can trust me, you know, right. what they're like. Yeah. So there is that element that you have to build the trust 
do again like you said earlier that was brilliant that you show you show the love and you show the caring and you show the tough love sometimes too but you're consistent you're consistent and then after a while they're sitting there going oh I can trust this person and if boy if you can have a kid that says I trust this person you've broken through more barriers than you can possibly imagine and so I think that that's part of it this whole trust issue so phenomenal, so beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. How do oh people gosh, reach you? Right. How do they? Oh yeah, you just you know, I'm a Facebook. Okay, no, but, so you know, yeah. it seems to be there. And then I also have a Yahoo, which is my name, Virginia underscore Castleman at Yahoo.com. Yeah. You know, and so I'm I'm easy to find. Yeah. I'm very easy to find. Thank you for listening. I'm currently in the process of creating a podcast channel to support children in the foster care system. The mission is to enable people to say, I have to get involved. My family has to get involved. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Virginia. This is one of many great interviews to come. And finally, I would love to interview you if you have any experience with foster care.